Hello and welcome to Liftoff from your friends at Relay FM. It is brought to you this time by Squarespace. Liftoff is a fortnightly show where you don't have to be a rocket scientist to understand the latest news about space and related subjects. My name is Jason Snell and I'm joined as always by my co-host and uh, he's he's in the pilot seat. It's on the commander seat. It's Stephen Hackett. Hello. Hey. Uh, welcome to the capsule that Thanks. is this podcast. Little Gemini I, capsule all, all nestled in together. <laughs> oh, bo- oh man, we're spooning. <laughs> we're in the Gemini capsule. Yikes, so tiny. Um, lots going on. We've been do- we did a bunch of special episodes, and we actually have a bunch of special episodes to come. But so we got to like cover all the stuff that's going on mm-hmm. recently because we we you know we've been busy with other stuff. We did the Apollo fourteen. I mean, we took a, an episode off, and, and I, we're behind on the news, so we should probably dive in to the news i think yeah but we're gonna start with golf balls well it's important this is this is apollo 14 follow-up sort of but it's also apollo 14 news it is uh this this news was timed with the 50th anniversary which i appreciated perfect just like us so last time we spoke about how ellen shepherd had a golf club head that he smuggled aboard and then they had the uh like the... Which it turns out, I'm not sure if it's in this story, but he didn't smuggle it. He got approved. It oh, was did approved. He? It was okay. approved. Yeah, that was another another story that I saw as a part of this golf ball story. So there's some some little tangent to the to the follow up here, which is um, for all of the like, oh, he, we don't know about that. No, he he actually got the golf balls and the and the okay. head approved by somebody. Okay. Yeah. So he took that and he took a handle off one of their tools for gathering samples from the surface and made a, a lunar golf club. Yep. And there's that famous quote where he says, you know, it's going for miles and miles and miles. And we talked about mm-hmm. the research that had been done taking into effect the gravity and the way he had to hit it because you're in a suit and you can't really use both arms at the same time. It's it's very bulky and difficult. And in the 50 years since the golf ball hasn't been spotted, uh, you know, from uh, the Lunar Reconnaissance Orbiter or, or anything else. But this is where the news comes in. <laughs> so there's this imaging specialist, uh, Andy Saunders in the UK, who took a bunch of high-resolution scans of the original film from the mission. Some of this had been digitized recently in this higher resolution. Right. And he has all these tools, like layer images on top of each other and, you know, play with all the contrast and everything. And he spotted the golf balls in an image, which is, which is pretty cool. The first one still, Shepard totally shanked it. Like we talked about, <laughs> I just ended up just over there. But the second one ended up being about 40 yards away. It's a pretty good shot considering you're in a moon suit, I think. Yeah, it's not bad. It's not miles and miles and miles, though. That's once again, even on the moon, golfers are lying about how far they hit the ball. <laughs> it's part of the sport, I guess. So, uh, part of the sport. Yeah. And Saunders in this uh, this interview on the BBC talks about how he still thinks it's a great achievement and that he just loves that it happened and that he would challenge any golfer to go to their local course and try to hit with a six iron, one handed, with a one quarter swing. On a surface like the moon, right, which is like shooting kind of out of like a sand pit, I think is the closest mm-hmm. thing you can get to on a golf course. But uh, yeah, pretty cool story. And now we know where that golf ball landed. Yeah, not not far away. But no. it's good for the treasure future moon uh, historian treasure hunter people 
detectorists will be able to find that. Mm-hmm. It's good. I love it. I love an Apollo 14. See, we went out early with our Apollo 14 episode, and then and then it was followed. It's always interesting when we do a 50th anniversary show to see how our kind of take on that uh, is reflected in other coverage of the 50th, how, yeah. how what we chose and what other people chose. And this was a great bit of follow-up for what is undoubtedly the most famous thing about Apollo 14, which is the golf ball. After all that, the golf ball... That's, That's what sticks. Thing. It is. Um, Stephen, we should talk about Mars. We're in Mars season now. It's February, and that means that all that's, all those launches that happened last year are getting to Mars. That's right. You've got a window every couple of years. We can get to Mars quickly, and we have three spacecraft that are now, as we're recording, at Mars. We've got one that's coming next week. Uh, you want to start with... Uh, Let's go chronologically. How does that sound? We'll go chronologically. So on the on the 9th of February, which is just a couple of days ago as we record this, the United Arab Emirates Hope spacecraft entered orbit around Mars. Now, we again, we talked about all of this when they launched, but just to recap, um, this makes the UAE the fifth nation to successfully send a spacecraft to Mars. Uh, and Hope is going to spend at least two years. Uh, it's basically a weather satellite. And one of the things that, that we learned when we talked about HOPE originally is that UAE didn't want to do a uh, space mission as a stunt. They wanted to, so where they could say, look, we're at Mars too, yay. They wanted to contribute to world knowledge about Mars by uh, by contributing a spacecraft that would add to the science. And so HOPE is going to spend two years or more studying dust storms and other weather conditions and how uh, those conditions near the surface affect the speed at which the Martian atmosphere is being lost into space because, uh, you know, the solar wind hits the Martian atmosphere and there's sort of a net loss of, of atmosphere over time. Um, but it's basically a weather satellite for Mars and should do some very interesting science. And it made it. It, it is in orbit and will begin its mission, which is uh, it's very exciting. So, you know, good job, fifth nation to send a spacecraft to Mars. Yeah, it's really, really exciting. Uh, it's also the first uh, Arab nation to do so. So a lot of firsts with hope. Uh, but guess what? The next day, the sixth nation to successfully send a spacecraft <laughs> to Mars happened when Tianwen-1 from China also entered orbit around Mars. And this is the first interplanetary mission of any kind from China. So China has sent uh, sent craft to the moon for a while now, but this is the first interplanetary, interplanetary mission for uh, China. And it's just getting started. Right. So this is a two-part spacecraft there's the spacecraft in orbit, which is going to study the surface of Mars and search for evidence of water ice with radars and compositions of surface materials. It's also going to look at the environment and, man- and magnetic field. Um, but it, like I said, it's two parts. So there's also a solar-powered rover. So the spacecraft at some point will... Uh, descend in its orbit, and it will basically eject this 240 kilogram rover. I was going to say little rover. That's not. It's not little. No. No. Uh, I mean, it's small compared to Perseverance and Curiosity, but it's right. It's it's, it's, it's not a little skateboard. And unlike uh, the U.S. missions, which tend to just go straight for the surface, this uh, this one they're they're going to reconnoiter for a while, and then I think the latest I heard is that it will probably be in May. Mm-hmm. We we don't know for sure because it's China and they're very secretive. But it sounds like the the contractor for this, which is China Aerospace Science and Technology Corporation, says 
probably May is when they're going to do the 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 descent for the rover. Yeah, I think they want to get some orbital science done before they they drop lower to do this. Right, and they'll be in Utopia Planitia is the area of Mars that they're that they're going to land in and look around in. Yep. So super exciting, a very ambitious first mission. Uh, hats off for that. I think it's going to mm-hmm. be, um, if they're successful, it's going to be really exciting because so far the only robotic missions on the surface are American, right? I think there was a Russian one that didn't last very long. Yes, yeah, like, in and the, that's about it in the seventies, maybe. Yeah. So if they if they land at all and then land with a rover that then roves around, they will have um, have caught up to sort of where the U.S. was about 20 years ago, which is from nothing is actually a pretty radical, rapid mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, acceleration for the Chinese space program. So yeah. it's pretty great. There's a very, very ambitious mission, but they, they've done the first hard part, which is getting in orbit. And then the second hard part will come in May. So we'll see. We'll, we'll keep an eye out for that one. Yep. And, and we haven't even talked about the Perseverance rover, which is going to land next week on February 18th. That will be the attempted landing. And again, that will be a direct to landing seven minutes of terror kind of yeah. thing where they're going to insert into the atmosphere and they fire some uh, jets and then they uh, shoot off a parachute or is it, they shoot off the parachute. And then they after that slows them to a certain point, they drop off the parachute and fire the rockets and the rockets take them down to the surface. It's a it's a very complex uh, terrifying thing, mm-hmm. but uh, it's it's worked before, so with any luck, it'll work again, and then they'll be in Jezero Crater with that rover, which also includes the little tag-along um, drone, little mini helicopter thing that's a proof of concept for planetary uh, planetary drones, planetary aircraft. Mars copter. So that's, that's coming next week. Next week. Yep. Uh, that's the same technology they used with Curiosity. It's, the rovers are built on the same platform. So it's the sky crane and, like you said, the seven minutes of terror or whatever. Yeah, it, it's a very familiar, familiar mm-hmm. thing where they, they the back shell or the, you know, the first off the, the um, heat shield pops off. Uh, there's a, a deploy of a parachute. Then after that goes for a while and they're doing the ground sensing radar and they're looking at everything and all the after the heat shield comes off, they're looking at the ground and they're they're orienting. And then uh, you end up with a situation where the parachute part and the whole back shell comes off and they're now using its own propulsion to slow it down and stop its its kind of horizontal velocity. So it's really just going straight down and using a lot of um, basically machine learning image analysis to make sure that they're landing it in a, uh, because this is all done automatically because there's too much uh, speed of light lag between here and Mars. Um, it's looking around, finds a place to land. And then, yeah, in those last few feet above the ground it does the sky crane thing where it actually kind of lowers the rover on um it's like a marionette on strings lowers it (laughs) to the ground and the moment that it gets confirmation that it is touched down um the strings all pop off and the and the sky crane kind of flies off until it's uh fuel is exhausted and then it crashes into the ground just to get it as far away from the rover as possible it's a it's we've seen it before um, I think there's going to be microphones and and cameras and stuff, so it may be an even more dramatic look at the landing if it all goes well. But that's next week, so we're, we you know we will have much more 
about that next time. I was trying to combine marionette on strings and Mars, and I couldn't quite get there. Marzianette? Mar- Martianette. Martianette. Oh, that's good. It's not not that good. It's not that good. It's a, it's a new administration, if you haven't noticed. We've got a new president. It is. It is. I got a, I got a little roundup for you. Um, okay. It, it, I'm, I'm impinging on the SLS segment a little bit, but uh, there's enough SLS segment to get us through, Yes, I think. Yeah. So I'll, I'll take a little bit of this. So new administration. There's no new NASA administrator yet. There are a bunch of cabinet-level uh, officials who are being confirmed. However, the NASA administrator has not yet even been nominated, I think. I don't think we even know who that is going to be. I don't think we do. Um, and it's not too surprising given some of the other uh, stuff that I'm going to talk about here. So there is some Artemis news. So the White House press secretary, Jen Psaki, was asked about Artemis. I think it's an interesting tell about what the uh, what the press secretary and what the Biden administration has been focused on in taking over for the Trump administration, that there have been certain things that Jen Psaki clearly doesn't really know anything about, which on one level probably should have prepped a little bit better. Government is big, I know, but probably should have prepped for some of these issues a little bit better. Um, at least she's transparent where she, where, where she basically says, I don't know, I'll get back to you. But it happened three times in the first week for her press conferences. Um, she was asked about the Space Force, and she didn't have an answer and need to come back. Uh, she was asked about uh, the redesign of Air Force One, um, the look of Air Force One. Um, she didn't know about that. She uh, she said, I'll get back to you on that. And was asked about Artemis and was like, um, wow, that's like, the, that's like the Space Force in the plane, huh? I'll get back to you on that. So the next day, and everybody in space was like, uh-oh, what does that mean? And the answer is she didn't know. And she wasn't focused on it. And they weren't focused on it. Came back the next day and, and read a statement that's several paragraphs long that almost entirely is just a recap of what Artemis is. Yeah. It's very much a, if you, like me, don't know what this thing is, let me explain it to you. Where somebody, probably at NASA, had given... Uh, her a two-paragraph summary of what Artemis is. It's like, go to the moon, first woman on the moon, and also bring man back to the moon, and it's a thing we're going to do. And like, she read all of that out, which is all completely accurate. That's what it is. The only real news in the whole thing was that uh, she said the Biden administration, quote, certainly supports Artemis, and that it's a uh, bipartisan effort in Congress to fund it, and so basically they're like, yep, great. They're essentially, it's like, yeah, uh, Congress funded it at this level and it's going on. And honestly, before we know more, before we know more about space policy and the Biden administration and who the NASA administrator is, I would count this as a win. I mean, it, it is interesting. You see that it's clearly not a big priority, at least in the first few months of the Biden administration. Not a surprise, honestly. There's a lot of other stuff going on in the midst of a pandemic, which has right. caused an economic, uh, economic crisis. So many reasons for them to focus on other things. But I take it as a win because what they're not doing is coming in and saying, oh, that thing that Trump started, we're going to get rid of it like all the other things that Trump did. This this seems to be and, and a theme of this show from back when we started it, which was during the Obama administration, Ooh. is... NASA, yeah, it's been a long time now. Uh, NASA is kind of at its worst when the direction that it's heading changes every time the administration changes. Yeah, agreed. And in this case, uh, it it looks like that's not going to happen. There may be some amendments. In fact, one thing that did happen 
is that NASA announced that although they were going to award some money to companies who are building technology for the lunar lander part of the equation of Artemis, they were supposed to be awarded that money by the end of February, and they pushed it back to the end of April. You know, first off, this is actually not uh, not about the administration changing as much as it is that Congress uh, didn't allocate what NASA requested for the lunar lander program. They they got less money for it. And at the time, everybody said, including us, this absolutely means that they're not going to be able to get there by the original goal of 2024 because they'd need to be doing a lot more work on the lunar lander program. Um, but now that Trump is gone, I, I, I think there was a... a agreed upon fiction that they were going to have this program done before Trump left office after his second term in 2024. That was the agreed upon language about all of this. And even though it became very clear that that was not going to happen, nobody would say it. And now that Trump is gone, the Biden administration and NASA are able to just say, yeah, that's not going to happen. So yes, it will. there will be delays. Uh, it will be pushed back. But it does sound like, although there may be changes in some of the details, uh, that it's pretty clear that this is still going on. And in fact, another piece of news that happened is that SpaceX was officially awarded the launch, which everybody expected, but it's official now, on Falcon Heavy of the Lunar Gateway, the first two modules of the Lunar Gateway, which is basically the service module and also the human habitation module. Mm -hmm. It's very small, but it's like a little, little space station that's going to go in lunar orbit is going to be launched... Uh, no earlier than, I think, 2024? <laughs> yeah, May 2024. So, it, again, it's a ways off, but that's going to be launched by Falcon Heavy. So that's another example of the kind of existing plan for lunar research, the Gateway, uh, Artemis, all of that kind of continuing to go ahead. So if you're looking for signs about whether there's going to be a big left turn away from the Artemis program doesn't seem like it, but we, we won't know. We don't know a lot right now, right? I think we won't really know what the Biden administration feels about NASA and what the um, Democratic majorities in both houses of Congress feel about the space program until we get a better sense of who the NASA administrator is going to be. And there's no sign of that yet. Yeah, I think that's right. And I think them for now saying this is the path that we're on, I think it bodes well for the program. Um, I'm not particularly surprised by the Falcon Heavy contract for the Lunar Gateway. No. Now it's in some places it's called the Lunar Outpost. The thing just keeps changing names. But yeah, um, <laughs> uh, you know the the Falcon Heavy, as we'll talk about in a little while, is not rated for crews. Uh, it, it could be in the future, I guess, but it, it isn't at this point. Not yet. And the the big thing about it is it's way cheaper. It's like a third mm -hmm. or a fourth of the cost of launching an SLS, the estimated cost of launching an SLS. We don't mm -hmm. actually know what up. that's going to cost yet. Wait wait a month and it'll be more. Uh, yeah, exactly right. And and I love this is this is we're going to get into it here in a minute. But this is a potential future for a lot of this stuff mm -hmm. is um, it may be cheaper to do a bunch of launches, especially of equipment using commercial launchers like Falcon Heavy. Um, so in this case, even if Falcon Heavy can't take the people up there, Falcon Heavy can take all of the heavy equipment up there. And then all you need to do is send the people. And and I think that even in the uh, best estimations of using SLS to do Artemis, um, that's going to be the case, right? That, that SLS is so expensive that even if it's used for the people, it will probably not be used for the equipment, 
because it's just too expensive. There's there's some other news though. Yeah, um, yeah, huge political news. Huge. Again, this is we are your political space podcast, I guess sometimes. Yes. But you know, as we've said time and again. Space, especially NASA, you know, it's politics and international space is geopolitics. And this is just these are, you know, funded by governments and even commercial space is uh, a, a large part of it is funded by government contracts and the, the politics matters. And when we talk about SLS in your SLS segment, we often talk about Senator Richard Shelby of Alabama, who has been the greatest supporter of the SLS, uh, because, of course, Marshall Flight Center is in Alabama. A lot of jobs in Alabama yeah. built, building rockets, and especially now that the space shuttle program is gone, building working on SLS as a sort of replacement for those jobs. There's a new program for those jobs, and he's a senator from Alabama. He wants those jobs in Alabama. Totally makes sense. Well, he's not going to run for re-election. So he's retiring. And this is a big deal because of his support of SLS. In fact, there's a, a famous story that uh, former NASA Administrator Jim Bridenstine suggested in a congressional hearing that he might, um, that it was a possibility that they could use Falcon Heavy for launching people to the moon. And Shelby, after he made that statement, basically demanded his resignation, which didn't happen, but wow, and said basically... I don't want to hear another word about anything but the SLS going to the moon. And the reason this is important and why he has this kind of power is that Shelby was the chairman of the House or of the Senate Appropriations Committee, which is like the money committee, the the purse strings of the government held by Senator Richard Shelby of Alabama. Now, not only is he no longer going to be the chairman of the Senate Appropriations Committee because his party is no longer in control of the Senate, but he's going to leave the Senate mm -hmm. entirely. So this huge figure in controlling the money that flows to NASA and often will specify what that money is going to go to. And we know because we talked about uh, Charlie Culberson, who was the congressman from Houston, who basically got the Europa Clipper funded right. because he was in charge of budgeting. And if the Congress gives NASA money and says, you have to use this money on this mission, NASA's like, okay, all right. Like Congress can do that, even though that, that's the, some of the power the legislative branch uh, exerts, even though it's the executive branch that is controlling NASA, it doesn't quite work that way. And they, they have this level of control because they got to fund this stuff. So with Shelby going, there's a real question, existential question, I would say, in the long run about what happens to the SLS, to the Space Launch System, which, if you haven't been paying attention, is the huge rocket that they're building at great cost and way behind schedule that's supposed to be essentially NASA's replacement for the space shuttle, essentially, in terms of a big human-rated rocket that will take people uh, out of, in this case, Earth orbit and to the moon and to Mars and who knows what else they want to do, um, but not you know, but not the the mission to Jupiter because again too expensive. So um, I don't know if this is the end of the SLS. In fact, it probably isn't right away because no. they've spent so much money. Sunk cost fallacy gets you every time, and they are still testing. And we're going to talk about the the green run and and, and the outcome of the green run and what's going to happen next with SLS. But there's a really good article on Ars Technica by Eric Berger, their space expert, one of the best writers about space around. And he said, you know, 
it's probably going to take a failure to outright kill SLS. Like if they do another green run and it has huge problems, or if the Artemis 1 mission, which is the test launch, if that has major technical problems, it's possible that they would say, hmm... This whole project is doomed. Let's just kill it. It, it does. I, you do get the sense that there are definitely people who are looking for an excuse to make it worth cutting bait on SLS. But there isn't an alternative yet, right? Falcon mm-hmm. Heavy isn't human rated, at least not yet. Um, Starship and Falcon Super Heavy are going are not close to being no. ready for human spaceflight. So we're in an interesting position where it sounds like with Shelby headed out the door, NASA's most likely scenario is that they will let it play out, see what happens with SLS, realize that these rockets are expensive. They've got contracts. I don't know what's cancelable. They're going to be going for a little while, but also kind of like keeping an eye on the door. It, it seems like to me we shall be gone. What do you think? You're the you're the SLS segment man. Let me know what what do you think? <laughs> no, I think that's about right. I think it's unkillable without a major incident. I've always had the fear that they would build it and they'd use it four times, and that's it. Mm-hmm. And spend, you know, maybe at that point, fifteen years on this program, and realize only then that it was a mistake. I can see a world where if the Falcon Heavy was human rated now, the SLS would have a much shorter lifespan. But as you said, it's not human rated. And they're going to need, if Artemis plays out the way that it was set up in the last administration, they're going to need something to put the Orion capsule on top of. Yeah. Currently, there's really nothing else. The Delta Four Heavy only has a handful more launches and it's retired, right? And so there's there's a little bit of a vacuum in the heavy lift part of the market. Right. And and SpaceX which is totally different from from small rockets, right? Like there's small oh, yeah. rocket countries companies all over the place. So that's super exciting. On the heavy end, that's just a much harder thing. And so in a sense, the SLS does fill a gap in the market, but that's a gap that may not last forever, probably won't last forever. Yeah, I wonder. So so Falcon Heavy was originally designed to do to get qualified for human rating, and SpaceX stopped that. And I think SpaceX stopped that for two reasons. One is Senator Shelby's commitment to the SLS. And I think they were maybe playing that as a, a hedge against the SLS, that they could step in. And I wonder if they might revisit that now. I don't know. I don't know enough about SpaceX. Uh, uh, maybe we'll talk to Eric Berger about that sometime because he's much more tied in with SpaceX. Um, and I'd love to ask him about that. But um, the other reason SpaceX stopped worrying about human rating Falcon Heavy is that they're working on Starship. And that's an interesting decision where they're sort of like saying, we're not going to wait around with this technology. We're going to build our new technology that we want to have human rated and, and sort of we're going to work toward that. And we're in an interesting position where that's not close yet, really. Like it's they haven't even gotten it out of the basic test phase right now, right, of the first stage. So or of the second stage, actually. So um it's an interesting position where, yeah, you're right. I think maybe the amount of huge amount of inertia applied to SLS is the reason that we are in this position. But I also wonder if like there was a a big technical problem with SLS 
and NASA went to SpaceX perhaps and said, mm-hmm. what about Falcon Heavy? <laughs> if something might change there. I, I honestly don't know. But it does feel like this vision of SLS in the long run being the workhorse you know, like the space shuttle, honestly, it's a very similar story where over the years, it's just become more and more expensive to launch these things. Like per launch, the expense is enormous. And reusable rockets have changed the the whole price structure yeah. of launches. So that that is... It may be that the SLS has been going on so long now that by the time it's really ready to have that moment of like, well, are we going to do more of these after the first four or whatever, that we look around as a as a government, the U.S. government looks around and says, why would we ever pay for more <laughs> when this thing is going to be a fraction of the cost? So, uh, and the answer was because Shelby demands it and Shelby's leaving. So that 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 changes the equation. I think that's really a long-term question about what happens to the SLS. Yeah, I think it's really interesting that the timing of all of this, how all of these things are sort of on a collision course, right? Like, mm-hmm. I think the SLS clearly will be done, hopefully, before Starship and Falcon Super Heavy, but SpaceX is moving so quickly, it may not be that big of a gap in terms of years between the two, and in the meantime, you have Falcon Heavy, which has been launched twice, three times. It's it's not used very often. Now, they have some launches planned for this year, I believe. Yeah. But just the timing of all of it is is really interesting. And it may leave NASA in a position where they don't have a choice but to keep the SLS going. Now, what Congress does with all that, who knows? I think that while Richard Shelby was clearly the cheerleader for this program, because again, like you said, it's in his own backyard where his where his people are. I don't know if Congress would be super willing to kill a program that has jobs and companies from all fifty states being involved. And we talked we've talked a lot about that. Yeah, there'd almost need to be an alternative, right? Which I've you know is a possibility that you know what if there was. There would have to be a give and take, right? Which is, well, we're going to kill this program, but we're going to retask Marshall Flight Center to do, or the or the workers in Alabama to work on this thing. And we're going to have ULA come in, or we're going to have SpaceX come in, or we're going to have Blue Origin come in, and we're going to use those. Like, you probably, if to kill it, would need to craft a story yeah. around it so that you didn't have the sort of outrage from all quarters about all of these jobs being lost. Yeah, which is totally fair. And the the pieces are out there in the industry if they wanted to do that. But I don't know. It's just going to be very interesting to see. Shelby saying he's not going to run for re-election definitely puts lots of things up in the air. All right. Yeah. All right. Let's, uh, let's take a break. How does that sound? Sounds great. This episode of Liftoff is brought to you by Squarespace. Make your next move with Squarespace. It lets you easily create a website for your next idea with unique domain name, award-winning templates, and more. Maybe you want to create an online store or host a portfolio or write a blog, where Squarespace is the all-in-one platform that lets you do all of those things. And there's no server stuff to worry about. You don't have to worry about installing or patching, upgrading. Squarespace has all of that covered. They have award-winning 24-7 customer support if you have any questions or need any help. 
lets you quickly and easily grab a unique domain name for your site, and all of those award-winning templates are beautifully designed for you to show off your great ideas. Squarespace, of course, is super well-known for being really easy to use, but there's a lot of power in Squarespace as well. You can do your own custom CSS. You can do stuff in the in the header of the site. You can write custom HTML and do weird widget stuff, embed things. There's this whole suite of developer tools available to you, but you don't have to use them. And that's the power of Squarespace, that you have those options. Squarespace plans start just $12 a month, but you can start a trial with no credit card required by going to squarespace.com liftoff. When you decide to sign up, use the offer code liftoff to get 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain name and to show your support for the show. Once again, that's squarespace.com slash liftoff and the code liftoff to get 10% off your first purchase. We thank Squarespace for their support of the show and Relay FM. Squarespace, make your next move, make your next website. All right, it's time for the SLS segment. Space launch system segment, explaining geopolitics, mechanical systems, engineering achievements, news, and trivia. I like that. I like that version of it. There's new. It's new every time. One of the biggest stories uh, that we didn't get to cover because, as you said, we were do, did a couple special episodes was the SLS Green Run, which we've talked about for years. Uh, finally, took place in January. Cut off after about sixty seconds. Uh, they have decided to run it a second time. It seems like the shutdown was much more about the conservative margin set for the test than the rocket's performance itself. Uh, since then, they have fired a single RS-25, and that that all went fine. I watched that on, online. Uh, so there will be a second hot fire test, and that is coming up uh, down on the B-2 test stand at Stennis, and I'm sure NASA will have big coverage of it. It was uh, over the weekend last time, and they were basically on NASA TV all day, which was fun to watch. You know, firing rockets off is good, right? It's fun. That's good. It's yeah. fun. And you've and you've been there, right? I have not been to Stennis. Uh, oh, not I, to Stennis. I would like to. It's not. It's the closest NASA center to me, I think. Maybe Marshall. Think, They're yeah. maybe about the same. You just um, hop right on over there. Yeah, just mm-hmm. hop, hop right on over there. Uh, there mm-hmm. was an electrical harness <laughs> issue on engine number four. They've gotten that resolved. And uh, they say they're ready to do this uh, this second hot fire test. Once it does happen, it'll take about a month, and then everything will be ready to go on the Pegasus barge and then make its way over to Kennedy Space Center to join the SRBs, which are already being stacked. Great. Oh, look, that's the next topic. SRS- SRBs. SRBs being stacked. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, before we get to the SRBs, I, I at least want to mention that like this is good, right? Like we we were after the first run was cut short. There was this undercurrent that I thought was really bizarre, which is like, well, are they really going to need to do another one? And it's so, sort of like the Boeing issues with uh, Starliner, where they're like, do we really need to do another test? And I just kept thinking, yeah, yeah, you do. You, do. <laughs> you your test didn't work right. You need to do your test again, not to sound like a parent. <laughs> But you need to do it again. Your test didn't test everything. Yeah. So uh, just a little applause. Glad that they're doing I know it delays everything. They got to do another hot fire. T- I get it. Mm-hmm. 
but they got to do it. They got to do it. They got to do it. I thought it was interesting, too, because it took place the weekend before uh, Biden was sworn in. So it, it was kind of like the last public thing that Bridenstein it was. was a part of. And I, I stayed up and watched the... Um, the press briefing, you know, a couple hours afterwards, they all like they were right. freezing to death. <laughs> it looked so cold. They, yep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> looked really uncomfortable. But I really thought, you know, thinking about where SLS was four years ago, they have made good progress. And I think a lot of that is due to Bridenstine and the, the focus that NASA has had on moving the SLS forward. And even though the test wasn't successful, it also wasn't a failure. I mean, it didn't run the time it was supposed to, but... There was no catastrophic damage done to the vehicle or the test stand. And so even though it wasn't the full green run, they said it during the press thing. They've said it since. It's definitely true. Even if the test didn't run for the whole time, they learned things, right? And that's the point of these, which is why, to your point, you got to do the whole thing because this is the only core stage that's going to undergo this step. Future SLS cores, because, again, it's not reusable, won't have a full-length test burn. And so you've got to get one done. Yeah, I thought that undercurrent was also really weird, but it didn't take too long for NASA to come out and say, look, yeah, we're going to we're gonna do this again. Good, good, good. Yes. Good. Okay, SRBs. SRBs. So these are the solid rocket boosters on the side of the core stage. Uh, they are nearly complete. Uh, they only have one of the segments left to stack. Uh, These are in the Vehicle Assembly Building, the tall, big building at Kennedy Space Center, which is super fun to be in. I was really glad to see it in person uh, several years ago. These are 170 stories tall. They're five-segment boosters, so they're bigger than what was on the shuttle. Uh, And they provide the the shuttle boosters and then, like, up. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, just like uh, you gave them a little uh, growing medication. They got got a little bigger, a little more powerful. These provide the bulk of the thrust. Again, just like on the shuttle, the SRBs were doing the bulk of the work at launch and the first few minutes of flight. It'll be the same here. I think we've mentioned this, or maybe we put it on the blog, but it's a it's actually a hangover from the shuttle era where the SRBs have an expiration date once they're stacked, right. and it's a year that after that, you got to launch them or you, or you have to like basically take them apart and check a bunch of things. It seems like that is a number that can be changed. If it, it seems like from what I've read, that expiration date is from a much earlier version of the technology used in the SRB. And the, the consensus seems to be that any issues that may have cropped up a year in aren't really applicable anymore. So even if Artemis 1, the the uncrewed mission, the first SLS flight, even if that doesn't happen within a year of these being stacked, it's not the end of the world, which is good news. Yeah, yeah, that's great. Uh, Yeah, it looks very much like somebody's like, oh, well, I heard that it was only a year. And then somebody's like, "Uh, mm, no, that's not true. (laughs) I'm looking here. I'm I'm looking at it. It's fine. And I think, I mean, just looking at these pictures, we have some links in the show notes. Seeing something being put together in the vehicle assembly building is really exciting, right? Like, say what you will about the SLS and the idea of it and all the stuff we just talked about. Seeing a rocket be stacked in that building is really exciting and really cool. 
Uh, it's the first time in a while. It's got it the is. Worm logo on it, too. you got to love that. It does have... I saw that. One of the segments... I mean, you specifically. has the Worm logo that. on it. Yeah. Uh-huh. Worm, worm logo. I just uh, got a new tool chest. I put it in my uh-huh. garage, and I put a Worm sticker on it, and I thought of you. Yeah. I thought... That's great. Jason may not approve of this. That's fine. I like it. <laughs> it's a fun alternate logo to the meatball. <laughs> it's for fun. You know, fun. Uh, the only other thing I had in the SLS segment, we talked about it already, though, was that Falcon Heavy is going to get the Lunar Gateway launch, which right. anything like this that doesn't go on an SLS is probably good, even just from a purely timeline perspective, right? Uh, because they're, it's not reusable. And I mean, hopefully subsequent SLS core stages would be built faster than this first one has. They'd almost have to be. <laughs> yeah. I don't know how you how they, it could be. Yeah. Um, but even then, SpaceX is really like their their ability to turn around these stages is so incredible. It anything with the SLS tied to it and a date feels like a dangerous proposition at this point. So um Right. So and yeah. in terms of savings, we talk about the savings. Um this contract for SpaceX on a Falcon Heavy to launch the Lunar Gateway Outpost, whatever, uh, $330 million, basically. And an SLS launch is like a, at least a billion dollars. Yeah. So, you know, you can make it up on volume. You could do three Falcon Heavies for that. So, uh, yeah, it makes sense. You're starting to see, to go back to the Shelby discussion just for a moment, you're already seeing the cracks in this policy where mm-hmm. a bunch of stuff that was assumed for SLS right. is getting moved. So the Jupiter mission's getting moved and the gateway's getting moved. And the SLS is rapidly turning into a, you know, humans to the moon only rocket, which is, it's a very expensive for that, but um, we'll see in the long run. If it goes great and and it turns out that they've got contracts for eight of them that they can't break and maybe they'll be doing those but um a bunch of other stuff is just getting out of the way because they want to they want to be faster and cheaper um eric in the members discord brings up an interesting point that the uh the worst thing about killing the sls he writes is that you don't know if nasa would ever recover enough to make their own rockets again and i've i've held this opinion for a while and i've shared it before but i'll share it again I'm not sure it's actually important for NASA to build its own rockets. I I think there's a version of NASA that takes all of that money and effort and applies it to things like climate science, interplanetary missions, and crewed missions. Like, focus on those things. I mean, obviously, I think NASA should be involved in building or at least partnering with the spacecraft themselves, like they're doing with SpaceX and Boeing for commercial crew. But I'm not actually sure that NASA's got to have its own rocket in the garage. I think there is a version of all of this where they have trusted, proven rockets through partners that they can fly their missions on. And NASA's really always done that, right? Even the earliest days, they weren't necessarily building their own rockets, right, for Mercury and Gemini. They did for Apollo. But you know, a bunch of stuff NASA's done has flown on ULA rockets, a bunch of stuff that's flown on SpaceX. I think that the idea of NASA having to have its own launch capability, I'm just not actually sure that's that works in the 21st century. Well, the argument, too, is that 
you spend the money on the interplanetary rocket for humans because no commercial rocket company is going to build that, right? The only only a government is going to build it. Um, there's no commercial application for it, and so um, NASA has to build it itself. But with what we've seen, especially SpaceX do, the counter argument is that they might be better off handing that money to a commercial company and say, build this for us rather than we're going to control every aspect of it and use contractors, Mm -hmm. which is how they sort of have traditionally done this. You know, it's muddied by the fact that Elon Musk has his own, you know, how much of it is Elon Musk saying, well, I want to build this thing because I want to go to the moon and Mars and I I don't care, you know, what the market is for it. I'm going to do it. And how much of it is Elon Musk saying, I'm going to build this thing because I'm confident that once we build it, governments are going to look at it and go, well, why would I build my own? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> when I can just use this and they'll give us money for it. Right. Either way, though, that is, you know, that is th- maybe a better model going forward. I share Eric's concern about this, too, and your concern about this. But, it, you know, maybe it's just a model change, right? Maybe really it, it's it's NASA money flowing to a different group that's putting it together but in the and and being more efficient about it and being a better buy and that maybe that's a better model like maybe it's it's that simple is that the extremely intensely bureaucratic top-down model of nasa for something like this is uh, you know you can look at the last decade in space and and it's something that when the sls started nobody believed was possible and has turned out to be possible that that uh, commercial space can build reusable rockets that cost a fraction of what <laughs> the uh, non-reusable uh, rockets you know sls is an old school rocket and falcon heavy and and starship ultimately are new school and everybody's moving to that model but nasa has not been able to move in it with any speed and now this thing is going to set nasa up for the 2020s and the 2030s and it's essentially technology from the space shuttle so you know i I think there's a strong argument to be made that as as scary as it is uh it's just fundamentally a better use of of the government's money to fund space companies to build this stuff for them yeah yeah it's it's so complicated right and Right. And Eric says we don't see the assembly building in use. I think that would have to be when I talk about the politics of this and and like how do you all those rocket workers in Alabama, if you kill the SLS, what happens to them? I think the answer is like SpaceX launches from Kennedy Space Center. Right. Mm-hmm. And and they there is a scenario here where if you're company X, let's say, and you're building uh, the rocket that's going to take people to Mars that you are leasing the VAB, you know, and you are that and you're using those people in Alabama like that. That would be because the money would presumably still be there. It would be uh, being operated in a different way. So it would be different, but it's not necessarily sort of an utter abandonment. It's just sort of a different model. I don't know. It's all very interesting. We have um, one more topic in this show and I feel like it is the perfect Stephen Hackett like perfect yeah if if an old Mac were involved it would have hit everything here <laughs> but it is a story about space and it's a story about St. Jude that's right so Stephen you should tell people what's going on 
Yeah, this is this is all really exciting. This is one of those things. Sometimes it happens, mostly around new iPhone season, where one of my parents asked me a question about something that I cover at work, and they don't, you know, like, oh, Stephen probably has talked about this. So the beginning of February, a mission named Inspiration Four was announced. This is the first quote all civilian space mission, which means that the people on it aren't employed or part of a federal space agency anywhere, because there are civilians within NASA, right? There are people who not necessarily coming from a military background. This is going to be an orbital SpaceX Crew Dragon flight uh, launching by the end of this year, (laughs) early next year. Potentially, but it's really exciting. So the mission will be commanded by Jared Isaacman. He's 37. He's the CEO of a company called Shift4 Payments. They're a payment processor company. I guess kind of like Stripe. They they do a lot of in-app stuff, web stuff. Uh, He holds several world world records for previous flights. Uh, I watched an interview with him, and he has a very long background in flight, like learning to fly when he was a kid, getting his pilot's license basically as soon as he could. He's done around the globe trips. He's done long solo trips, all sorts of things. Almost anything you could imagine he's done. He was going to head up this first all civilian mission, but he's doing it uh, to highlight and to raise money for St. Jude Children's Research Hospital, which I have a personal connection with and Relay FM, the podcast network we're on. Um, has uh, an annual fundraiser for every September. And so there, there are four seats in total. One, of course, is Isaacman. The other three seats just have titles right now. Uh, one is called Hope, which is a will be given to a St. Jude ambassador with direct ties to the hospital and to the mission. This person is supposed to embody compassion, unity, equality, and inclusion. So they this one will be... Um, given to someone who is on the front lines at St. Jude. Um, that hasn't been announced yet as we're recording who this will be. The sec- second seat, second open seat, is called Generosity. Uh, this will be given to someone who donates to St. Jude through this campaign. So inspiration4.com, it's in the show notes. You can donate and have your name in the ring for this. And there's some sort of process in which someone will get a phone call, I guess. I don't know. Like, how do you get told you're going to space? I feel like a text is too casual. No, I think you're going to get a, you're probably going to get a phone call. You're going to get a phone call. And that person will be named um, in the near future. And then the third unnamed seed is prosperity. This will be given to an entrepreneur who has used uh, Shift Force platform to launch their own business. What's if that wasn't incredible enough that they're going to raise a bunch of money and a bunch of awareness for St. Jude, Isaacman has committed to giving $100 million to St. Jude himself. And the goal of the campaign is to raise upwards of $200 million from people donating through the webpage to St. Jude. Uh, St. Jude, if you're not familiar with it, probably should have done this at the top, but I'll do it now, is a children's research hospital actually here in my hometown of Memphis, Tennessee, and they treat children with cancer and other catastrophic diseases without 
regard to the family's ability to pay or the family's background or race or religious beliefs. It is really awesome. It's an amazing place. Uh, we're we at Relay FM are honored to be a partner with St. Jude in fundraising every year. But yeah, this like it's a it's a cool space mission. It's a very historic mission. The first all civilian mission is one for the history books. You know, uh, maybe our children will be doing liftoff in fifty years and and talk about the fiftieth anniversary of this. But to see uh, St. Jude being so connected with it is really special to me. Yeah, it's a it's a perfect fit. So people should uh, should give if you want to get a chance to to go to space. I guess give to St. Jude. It's a perfect combination. It's and, really cool, isn't and, it? And we endorse that organization completely, and, and literally we do, and we do a fundraiser for it every year. So what a what a great uh, what a great mixture. I immediately thought of you when I saw this. Mm-hmm. And then my second question was, do we get to go to space? And you said, <laughs> probably not. Probably it's probably not, not us. Um, but we do plan on continuing to cover this. And uh, so we will continue to talk about this as details unfold. So I think there's going to be a lot of inspiration for talk on liftoff through the rest of the year. Yeah. More to come, I think. More mm-hmm. to come. But that's it for this episode. It is. I think, I think we've wrapped it up. Should we tell people that? I, I feel like we need to tease people a little bit. Okay. Um, normally we would say we'll see you in a fortnight, but no, no, we're going to be back. So as we're recording this, it's about a week exactly before the big NASA Perseverance rover landing. So we're going to do a special episode next week. Special bonus episode. Very exciting. With a Mars landing update. Good or bad, we're going to talk about what happened. Mm-hmm. You'll get that. <laughs> and then um, another thing is happening next week, which is season two of Apple TV Plus's um, For All Mankind is coming out uh, once a week, starting next Friday. So our special episode is not just going to talk about the Mars landing, but we're going to talk about For All Mankind season two, which we've seen the first episode of. And it's going to be with a special guest, but I'm not going to say who. A special guest. It'll be fun. And then the following week, we'll be back uh, on our regular schedule. Uh, we may have a special guest then, too. Boy, the special guests just keep on coming. But anyway, <laughs> tune in tune in to your podcast player, which isn't really something you tune, but you know what I mean. We'll be back in about a week with a special episode, Mars Landing Stuff and For All Mankind. So the two for double special episode. Mm-hmm. It's going to be great. Yeah. Until then, if you want to find links to the stories we spoke about, they're on the web at relay.fm slash liftoff slash 142. While you're there, you can become a member and support Liftoff directly and get a bunch of cool perks from Relay FM. You can also uh, find us on Twitter. Jason is jsnell. You can follow me there at ismh. And until, I don't get to say this very often, but until next week, Jason, Mm -hmm. say goodbye. Goodbye, everybody. Bye, y'all.